Hey, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Jesse Case. I'm Andy Wood. And we're going to be joined shortly, of course, when we play for you our live episode from PodFest. Mm-hmm. We're going to be joined by uh, Matt Kirshen, of course, uh, Mr. Tim Minchin. Yes. And uh, Dr. Amy Parrish. For those of you joining us, maybe you haven't listened to the show before. Maybe, yeah, maybe you just got into it. What we do is we, we're three professional comedians and very amateur scientists. Mm-hmm. I'd say so amateur that it doesn't even, we don't even get a, uh, an adjective. Yeah, I don't even, I mean, scientist implies that we get paid to... Well, scientist study. implies that we even know things about it, right. uh, but we like talking to we scientists. We like talking to scientists, you know. And hey, I have I have a, a, an engineering degree that I'm not using anymore, sure. but that lends some credibility. Sure, um, a little credibility. Matt's sure. not with us right now, but he has uh, a math degree. You know, we, we know our stuff somewhat. No stuff, no stuff. So that's the show. Uh, probably science. We really want to thank you guys for listening. This is a very special episode. It's very close to our hearts. Yes, because uh, this episode will be recorded live at the LA Podfest. It will. It will in, in the future. a few minutes, yes. Yeah, we're going to go do it in just a few minutes. It uh, looks packed out there. It looks packed, yep, here at the LA Podcast Festival, the third annual. And um, This has been a fun weekend. It's been incredible. All these fans that came out to, to see us and to see the other 35 or so podcasters that are here, It's it's uh, it's been a love fest. It's been a love fest. One of my favorite weekends of the year. The hotel is nice, the Sofatel mm-hmm. here in uh, wonderful Beverly Hills. So, you know... Obviously, this is being recorded live, mm-hmm. but video streaming as well. People could watch that. Now, I heard, Andy, yes. that uh, there was some sort of way that you could still, even though the festival will be over when this is released, there's a way that you can watch all of the podcasts, the video yes. stream. Yes, the archive will be available for the next three weeks. If you go to LAPodfest.com slash live and enter offer code science, you can get that for only $20. That is $50 of- off. <laughs> No, no, no. The original price was twenty five, but it comes down to twenty with our discount. Why don't we just tell people the original price is like a hundred bucks? That would have been a better way to do it, I guess. Just a deep, deep discount off off of an exorbitant price to start Exor- with. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that place that opened on the street called Half Off Sushi, but the menus are permanent. Right. It's so like it a just, place that says happy hour all day long. Well, that's just your price then. That's, that's just, just your, your price. price. Yeah, because like an avocado roll. At this half-off sushi place, it says like twenty dollars. Then like slash, Ugh. it's like ten bucks. Um, no thanks. No thanks. Half-off sushi. <laughs> so anyhow, for twenty dollars, you can get access to the entire archive of all, I believe, thirty-five podcasts this week. What weekend. are we talking? We talking WTF? We're talking uh, the video of WTF with Mark Marin. He was celebrating his fifty-first birthday on the podcast. Had a nice celebration. He had guests including Whitney Cummings and Shelby Farrow. We're talking about the Dana Gould Hour, who had Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob, Brian Stack of Conan fame, and Paul F. Tompkins were on Super Ego. Matt Jones, who you may know as Badger from Breaking Bad, was a guest on Who Charted. Joey McIntyre from New Kids in the Block was Graham Elwood's guest on Comedy Film Nerds. Horatio Sands of SNL was on Improv for Humans. It's it was it was an incredible uh, lineup, and there's a lot to catch on the worth video seeing. archive. Worth seeing. Well worth. We're going to have some visual aids for our podcast. We're going to have some some. Uh some things we have some some imagery some imagery perhaps in addition to, talk to about. our wonderful guests tim minchin and uh primatologist dr amy parish oh so, i should mention also uh, we have a lot of new aussie listeners and um will anderson and charlie clausen's tofop was at the festival and that will be archived uh and dave anthony's the dollop oh and i love green guide letters an aussie specific podcast with steel saunders that was a lot of fun so yeah you can watch all of those again lapodfest.com slash live enter offer code science and if you're new to this show, please also subscribe. You can find back episodes over at probablyscience.com, and we would especially appreciate it if you would go into iTunes and subscribe that way. 
even if you don't use iTunes to listen right. to podcasts. Helps us on the charts. Helps the charts. Yeah, I found out there's also panels. There were also panels at the festival that are available as part of the archive, including getting started in podcasting, uh, getting sponsors, secrets of Libsyn and iTunes. We had people from Libsyn and Apple and companies like Earwolf and Squarespace. Let's, let's not encourage the listeners to compete with us. <laughs> I think uh, podcasting is a great thing for everyone to get into. <laughs> but no, I found out some interesting things. Like the Libsyn talk was very eye-opening. Um, they actually revealed the algorithm behind the iTunes charts, which I thought was some, you know, the, what, the one weird sure. tip trick that Apple no, doesn't that, want you to know about. The- that was a nightmare to reveal that algorithm because I know that... Um, you know, Steve Jobs' corpse, there was a code there tattooed was. to his hand, and then you had to go to the Louvre. And, <laughs> and look uh, at it in a mirror. You had to look at it in a mirror. Um, but no, uh, one of the things we found out that ratings and reviews in iTunes don't actually affect rankings. We still appreciate those, but subscriptions do. So please, if you're new to this, go subscribe. Subscribe, but then, you know, probably write a rating and review, too. In iTunes. You know, do all the stuff. So we should probably get to this without too much more ado. Let's get to it. ProbablyScience.com. Email us at ProbablyScience at gmail.com. All the emails we've gotten, uh, donations, theme songs, which people have been sending. It's been wonderful. Uh, we're going to get to that next week because we, uh, we have to hop into the other room and do this live show. Mm-hmm. Um, and and next- thank you to all the donors. If you want to donate, by the way, we appreciate it. You can go to ProbablyScience.com and click on Donate. Yeah. And uh, so now we're going to go join up with, uh, with, with Matt Kirshen, Tim Minchin, and Dr. Amy Parrish for uh, what I hope is a wonderful episode. I'm sure it will be. Okay, guys, we're doing it. Hey, how's it going? How are you guys doing? Everybody good? <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Had a good Sunday? It's a little early. A little early. We're good. It, it is noon. You guys got to see us all sort of wait behind the curtain for a bit and then decide that it was better to come out from the front. Yeah. And then we went behind the curtain again, and then behind the, none of the listeners will be aware of this, but it was quite a treat. Oh, it was delightful. So yeah, the viewers got delightful. to experience it. That's what happens if you come to a live show, if you're watching on the streaming, hey, streaming people, Hello. Hello. Uh, now you know what we look like, a dithering near backdrop. <laughs> that, that's our look. Um, I, we should introduce ourselves. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. I'm Jesse Case. Uh, for those of you who aren't uh, regular listeners of the show, we are all comedians. We're all stand-up comics uh, with vague science backgrounds-ish. Uh, I did a math degree and struggled through it. Uh, Andy was an engineer. He did an engineering degree and then worked as an engineer for a bit. I dropped uh, out of high school. Yeah, Jesse... <laughs> it's true. Jesse left high school to become a rock star, and now he fixes typewriters. <laughs> yeah. So if any of you have any typewriters that need fixing... Just any obsolete secretarial equipment. I'll take care of it. Uh, I really know how to pick a skill set, you guys. And um, I feel like it's going to take off. I don't know. <laughs> You've just got to wait for it to become cool again. Or I, for it'll the take computer. a while. Yeah, all technology becomes cool. Because there's going to be Zoom aficionados in 15 years, you know, who are like... Absolutely. Yeah. Do you ever get... Do you ever do a thing where you're so, like, you're so poor that what you have just makes it just to the next cool round? Happens to be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I literally, um, I was at uh, MoCA the other day. It was just down here. Mm-hmm. and um, Or no, LACMA. LACMA, which is the Museum of Modern Art here. Yeah, I just said yes to MoCA as if I knew what it was. I don't. <laughs> yeah. It's a drink, I guess. Yeah, I was there. drinking okay. a MoCA. Yeah. I was down at LACMA drinking a MoCA. And um, uh, one of the exhibits was just a room of tube televisions. And it was for sale for like a million dollars. And there's wow. people like, yeah, I'll bid on that. And I'm just like, that's what I just have to watch that's, TV on. Just, <laughs> yeah. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, we have like a a a, a cache a cache of uh, CRT televisions in our Absolutely. weird garage. I don't know if any listeners to the show have heard about the strange living situation we have. Uh, it's, it's too long to get into, but yeah, we, uh, we don't have to get into uh, it. Andy and Jesse are roommates, and roommates. they share it with uh, a, an overweight sleep eater in his what sixties, mm-hmm. Six, yeah, and yeah. a former soap actor who drinks a lot, yeah. <laughs> And lives in the pool house. We think rent-free, Cato Caleb There's style. no way We're he pays sure. rent. I don't think <laughs> There's no does. way he pays no, rent. It's probably not true. But that's, yeah, that's right. I got him the DMT, by the way. Uh, <laughs> if any of you guys listen regularly, the, the 70-year-old, the alcoholic in the pool house, he wanted DMT. Um, and I thought we <laughs> the need... The most powerful psychedelic drug known yeah. to man. He, and he I heard thought... about it and wanted to get some DMT yeah. and asked you about it. He, heard, he like saw a documentary or something, and now he wants DMT. And I don't know about drugs or drug people, um, because I, I used to do all the drugs. I'm a bit real bad at it. Um, but I figured we need more space. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got him... Dude, I got him so much DMT. I don't know... Uh, <laughs> We'll see. Amazing, amazing. We'll, see. Um, well, before we bring up our first guest, I do want to remind everyone here that uh, we've talked a lot about having merchandise for the show, and we've just sort of dilly-dallied about it. And finally, Angela Warner from A Storm Merchandise was like, listen, I'm just going to make some shirts. We're going to have some shirts. So we have probably signed shirts here at the merch table. Yeah. yeah. And we'll sell these online for those listening and watching at home. Um, and I- maybe we'll get a new logo together that actually has Jesse instead of the frozen head of uh, Brooks Whelan. Yeah, so. it's been a year. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize you were going to do it as a big reveal, Superman oh, yeah. style. Yep, yep. I, again, for the benefits can of the you, listeners. Can you go behind the curtain for that and come back out and do it? Can you? <laughs> yeah, you, you kept it covered with a, with a buttoned-up shirt, and then he fully just exposed his chest. Yeah, they're watching. People can see. Yeah, I Whether like they're it. they're at home or here. Yeah. Uh, should we bring on the first of our guests? Let's do Let's it, do buddy. It, yes. I think he's one of the main reasons this room's packed out right now. I've, yeah. uh, I've wanted to get him on for quite a while. Uh, fantastic uh, to get him on. Uh, comedian, musician, writer, actor, skeptic, Matilda scribe, Californication, beer in, uh, and general man about town. Mr. Tim Minchin, ladies and gentlemen. Tim Minchin. Take a seat. Take a seat. Sit wherever, buddy. Sit as far away from Jesse as well. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> well, I, don't, I think that's mean, not going to... Perfect. All right. Don't Excellent. Mean, Tim. There you go. Hey, Tim. Don't. How are you doing, man? Good, yeah. Thanks. Wow, uh... It's different up here. <laughs> oh, it is. It's bright. No, it is. You can barely see. I, didn't, I thought we were going to go lit room. I didn't yeah, know the deal. The audience is uh, very dark to us because of the light shining. Yeah. Would you rather eyes. it be like a you know timeshare conference looking thing? With the, like, is that preferable to you, Jesse? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like if the lights are on, it would just be so uh, conferential, if that's a word. Like, yeah, well, it, sure. So We're here to tell might you. Be a word. <laughs> yeah. might there, be. There's actually a conference on new words after this. We'll, <laughs> yeah, find, yeah, yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, yeah. We're here to tell you guys that you can find the power within yourself. <laughs> and you just have to reach out and grab it. Yeah. Just a little bit of DMT is all it takes, guys. <laughs> a little bit of DMT. Tiniest bit. Uh, Tim, how's it going, buddy? Good. Yep. Still adjusting my microphone <laughs> so that I feel really comfortable. There aren't many adjustment points on it. No, you there aren't can, many points you of articulation. A little bit you know, of height and a little bit of angle, and then you can move the whole unit. Or I think it should just head. it should just be one mold, right? Like you're kind of an asshole if you're adjusting that mic stand. <laughs> 
like, yeah, I suppose. It's, it's <laughs> what a needy bitch. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> I'm gonna do the gig later. <laughs> like, like, like a miniature Freddie Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> I just yep. want to put some Steven Tyler scarves on this and throw it around back. Yeah. And forth. Has there been a, a little queen? Oh my God, there should um, be a right? tiny queen. <laughs> yeah, like a you know, there's mini kiss. Or whatever. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, with people, little people, uh, little people, uh, little people. Yeah. Achondroplastic dwarfs doing rock songs. Is that, that the word? How the what? Have you got it wrong? Like people with dwarfism doing doing dwarfism. cover bands. Yeah, there yeah, is, yeah, there yeah. is mini kisses a real thing. That's a thing. Kiss. Oh, great. Well, there should be a mini queen. There should be a mini queen. That's what I'm saying. I'm outraged. Let's make yeah. this happen, guys. Uh, we this is like mailing it to ourselves. It's our trademark now. You guys can make it, but we get royalties. Yeah, off. I'm pretty sure it's a copyrighted situation. Yeah. So. Mini Queen. Freddie Mercury's going. range was so um, incredible that I don't, I don't know if there are physical attributes of people with dwarfism that would limit. It might because, inhibit the ability to get to Whereas Kiss, you can get away with. Yeah. Do you have? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Very true. Very true. sure. Good call. Being being kiss-like is an achievable goal for yeah. almost anybody. For people of all sizes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people of any disability can yeah. just pull yeah. off Kiss. Really. Um, <laughs> Just trying to think. Tim, yeah, you, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you you grew up playing music. You, you're a musician before comedian, arguably, correct? Oh, long before and, yeah. and since. <laughs> I was briefly a comedian for five years. So. <laughs> uh, what did you listen to growing up? What were you obsessed with music-wise? Oh, I'll st- you know, Beat- sure. Beatles, Beatles, Kinks, Queen, Stones, Deep Purple. Yeah. And then a whole lot of weird um, Australian local stuff, like the Black Sorrows and my Uncle Jim's Bluegrass Band. Yeah, I just, I just I, found is, out about that. that was, he was sort of a, a comedy music act as well, right? Well, he, yeah. Just, he, just to be clear, this he is ended the, up being one. Yeah. This is your Uncle Jim had a bluegrass band. It's not good. Like, my Uncle Jim's Bluegrass Band wasn't the name of a band that everyone in Australia right, right. <laughs> No, that was my actual... My mother's brother had a... Okay. A my, bluegrass band. My dad, Lizard, has a bluegrass band. <laughs> really? Yeah. Right. This is actually true. My dad's true. name is Lizard. My dad's name is Lizard. It's weird. But um, <laughs> if you want to know like, a, a quick band. primer on who Jesse is and what made Jesse be Jesse, uh, his dad his is called Lizard. called Lizard. My dad's yeah. called Lizard. And he, uh, he's in a bluegrass band. Uh-huh. Great. You know what? You know what has bothered me? Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the Stones. Why did no one ever call Mick Jagger out for just having a fake southern accent for 10 fucking years? But that's the whole thing of like British appropriation of American music mid 20th century. Is like everybody was just and then everyone started copying their copying of us. But if it goes the other way like Madonna's accent, you're like fuck you. Like you're not that's British. A good point. That's a good point. You know what I mean? Well, there is the 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 other way, the flip side of that is punk like 80s American punk acts doing a British accent. Yeah. yeah. Do they do it? Cuz yeah, cuz some of them were copying like the Sex Pistols. I don't know. Sure. If you steal your whole music genre from African Americans, I think the Brits are allowed to steal it from you. That's sure. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Sure. That's nothing if not fair. Sure. Yeah, you should there's a great uh, we used to uh, Australian You hear that well. self-deprecating applause break? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. We hate ourselves too. Um, uh, we're sorry. We have to clap this that or it seems a bit racist. That, that actually wasn't applause. It was pats on the back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're good people. We're all good people. <laughs> We're aware of our privilege. Um, uh, the, in Australia, we all saying if you listen to '80s and '90s rock, it's just it, everyone. There's there's actually I think as a poor singer myself that there are there are vowel sounds that you can't get a good open sound in Australian accent. So if you're trying to sing an A, 
or, or an ah, ah is not the best. You want to go ah, and, and you start, and the stuff starts becoming American. And we did that for ages. And then in the early noughties, everyone started doing Australian accents in their, in their music, and it was amazing. And the Who? best is like every like. It's, it's a Your real, uncle's band. My uncle Jim. <laughs> no, but the main one was the Hilltop Hoods who started doing hip, hip-hop in an Australian accent. And it's like, proper Australian hip-hop. It's a dick dog. You know, like, and it's really awesome and sounded oh. hilarious for years. Right. Wow. I never knew that. Well, are you a fan yeah. of... Uh, I'm a huge Tame Impala fan. What do you think of them? And I've kind of forced well, you to Well, do you know... Like aren't they from Perth? I think they're from my hometown. And... Uh, I just, because um, I'm, I'm a wanker, I just got, um, <laughs> I, I've got back into vinyl and, um, and I, bought, I bought... He's not talking about the music uh, playing thing. He's like, he's wearing, you can't see below yeah. the table. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're really into it. My butt plug is being yeah. held in by, <laughs> by vinyl underpants. Yeah. Um, no, I've got, I've, I've, I bought a turntable and I bought one that's like a, the equivalent of a fixie, you know, like a fixie bike in that so it's like... one speed? Yeah, no, it's one speed and it's like you have to do the elastic round so the motor. you can't play 45s? You, I don't think so. Are they little ones? Well, there's two different oh, no, speeds on a record change, player. No, you can change the speed, but you have to take... So you picked the exact wrong analogy. I can't even remember what the origin Jesse, was. Jesse, you, you Jesse, p- he's our guest. He's our no, guest. no, no, no. <laughs> What were we talking Somebody, about? Guest. Guest is the word. It's like the only example oh, that's yes, the exact oh, yeah, wrong yeah. example. Yeah. It's like a fixie. Yeah. Except you can change gears. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's not, the, it's not like a fixie in that it doesn't have gearing. It's like a fixie in a different way. Sure. Because you could have said, how is it like a fixie? It's flat and sits on a table. A fixie doesn't do that. You can't point out... <laughs> You can't point out the ways in which my analogy doesn't work until sure. you've heard the element that I'm comparing. Okay, see, I think you're stalling to think of one. But yeah, let's... let's, let's no. All right, all right. Fuck you. Does this... Um, <laughs> is this a sweary That's podcast? Right yeah, is this yeah, a this sweary podcast? Absolutely. Okay, fuck yeah, you. Yeah. Um, uh, it, 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 in that, you know, when you, if you ride a fixie, you're like, this is awesome, it's so simple and elegant, and yeah, then you go yeah, up yeah. a hill going, I'd love to change gear here, that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, it's the same, my record player doesn't return. Do, uh, okay. It, so it goes, and it, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night, and you've listened to a record, and you go to bed, and you wake up the next morning, it's going... Round and round and round, because it doesn't have an auto return. Yeah. It's so annoying, and I have no, no idea why I bought... Ten- Why are we talking about it? <laughs> well, no, there's an, a lot of... Some bands, like, like Sergeant Pepper ends with that infinite loop. Oh, yeah. Isn't right. that yeah, it? I don't really know. Uh, yeah, maybe. Is that no? Oh, is that, oh, is that like, just in the groove, so when it stops... Oh, so when it falls into it, it just falls into a circle rather than a spiral bit of the... And then that's you, what that is. I that remember. Key play. Yeah. I bought- and then that's why, like, you wake up and you're like, I'm going to kill Sharon Tate. Um, <laughs> You can't do that. It mean, just like gets in there. So unoriginal. It's been done. Um, uh, I bought Tame Impala on vinyl and I've listened to it once. It's all right. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I think they're probably yeah. geniuses, but I'm not very good at listening to music, as my tastes indicate. Nothing past 1979, really. Sure. Uh, no, that's where uh, we've been trying for months to get uh, Brian May on this podcast. Oh. So if you're watching Dr. May, uh, because he's also an astrophysicist. Yeah. And, has a well, PhD in that. If you're therapy. watching, really? Yeah. It's... Oh, no, no, uh, you got the grammar oh. wrong there. Um, Andy said, like, not if you're watching, comma, Brian May. It's if you're watching Brian May. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brian May's caretakers, if you're listening to this, yeah. uh, please. Put a he bug in his more, ear. More chance of Freddie coming on, I reckon. <laughs> oh. uh, he's all right. Uh, he's all right. No, that mini Freddie, I mean. Uh, little mini Freddie. Freddie. Yeah. Mini Freddie. Mini Freddie. Mini Freddie. 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 Freddie
Tim, I want to quickly talk to you about, um, like, He's I, I saw. I think I saw your first show in Edinburgh, and there wasn't that much in the sort of skepticy, sciencey stuff. And then by the second and third, that's where there was a lot more. Was that? Was that something like? Because you're known in skeptical circles. Your your beat poem "Storm" is huge on the internet, and uh, like, was that something you were always interested in? Or was that an interest that grew as you got more into? I think uh, what happened is I, I was doing music and writing songs, and I always wrote silly songs and all that sort of stuff. And then suddenly I got an audience. And I went, shit, what do I write about now? Because I had, had to come up with a new show. And it just happened at that stage. My, my need for material intercepted with a growing interest in how um, erroneous belief affects the lives of everyone on the planet. So, um, and, and that really, my interest in science and stuff came out of just a sort of pretty basic atheism and doing a bit of philosophy at uni and stuff and a bit of psych. And then it then I was just reading more and more and more about that stuff and trying to write material at the same time, and that's what came out. And then I got kind of known for doing that stuff, and I thought, oh, I should just move on and talk about other stuff, but actually I don't have a problem. I, I think that's a nice... I, I'm perfectly happy with being known for doing that material. So I, I think, there, yeah, going. there are definitely far worse things to... Like, if you're going to be put in a category, oh, this guy thinks about things. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Because um, yeah. you end up with a fan base that then ends up being an intelligent, thinky fan base. I love my... Yeah, that, that's right, yeah I can't go back to Nashville. I'm old toothbrush colon, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, but it's good yeah. to be known for... A, Something. Yeah. For a, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. That's a song. Uh, guys. Isn't, didn't Lizard write that song? <laughs> oh, back he was to there. Nashville. He was there. Um, known as old toothbrush colon. <laughs> <laughs> He knows and lizard. there's a rhyme there about going bowling. It's great. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Or Mark Bowling. Absolutely. Um, my colon was stolen. So, it, do you? So, there's a hole in my colon. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, are we gonna keep rolling with? And we're not rolling. <laughs> <laughs> that okay. was amazing. That was amazing how you just said, are we going to keep rolling with the well, column? According yeah. to you, it was from, from black people. It was stolen. How much longer can we keep this going? <laughs> um, I, I, I forgot to... In, I forgot to Australia, they love the blacks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Come on, Tim. The, one, the ones we didn't kill, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so everyone's bummed. <laughs> Let's um, good show, guys. Uh, enjoy the festival. It's good. Uh, it's good fest. Good yeah. fa happy fest. Um, um, I forgot to introduce you. Give you a full title as well. You're also. We've got two PhDs. We've got two doctors on the. Uh, oh yeah, I'm a doctor. Uh, yep. Doctor of letters. As of was it a year ago? Yeah, about a year ago. Yeah, I got. It's just. It was real tough getting that degree. Um, what just, is a doctor of letters? It's. Uh, it's the thing a university gives someone with a profile as a PR stunt. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know how every episode of the Cosby Show would end uh, like executive producer uh, like Doctor William H oh, yeah, Cosby yeah. PhD or whatever. It's like well that was like a thing he was given as like an honorary oh, an honorary degree. And he yeah. was like from now on you gotta call me Doctor Cosby. Like, I don't think it really works that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no he's an astrophysicist. Oh okay I'm sorry. Uh, Is he, he? Yeah him and Brian May wrote a paper together on black holes. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute no don't <laughs> no nope, Jesse. Walk nope, it off. We're ignoring, I'm walking it off. We're ignoring these jokes. Yes. Um, it's so good. I mean, yeah. it's bad, but it's really strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. 
As someone that is, uh, it sounds like you, uh, like, like me, like I think like everyone up here, we, I, I'm furious at pseudoscience all the time. Mm -hmm. Even like in the shower, like it'll say in my shampoo, like with nutrium. Yeah. Like that's not a fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. It just sounds scientific. So people, yeah. Oh, I, well that I do stuff. experiments with shampoo in the shower and, and, and body... And buddy, doesn't well, it? And look what it. happened. It's all the nutrium. You know that you, you read on a, uh, or on a body wash, it's like soothing, you, it makes your skin more radiant and it, it sure. relaxes you and all this stuff. And because I, the, the, I, I just, you do placebo experiments on yourself to see if you can have to manifest in yourself the effect it claims it can have. Oh, I've by had just, some, I've had some really frustrated it. body washes before. Yeah, well, see, you're doing it you the know? wrong way. I, go, I, I, I put myself in a headspace where I go, I believe everything that says, and I close my eyes and I use it, and I try to feel that stuff, and I totally do. Yeah? Yeah, of course. It's like The, the little scrubbing you, bubbles with smiley faces that are like coming over your body. See, and yeah. see I thought you were going to suggest that you'll have two different body washes, one with and one without nutrient, no, I don't and do divide a double your body blinding. down the middle. Yeah, yeah. no. I like wash one side yeah. and then go to your wife and go, which side is more radiant? <laughs> right. No, I do the opposite because I'm very because that's what interests me is how how you, we can trick ourselves. So if you if you go to a, a really posh Chinese restaurant and they bring out some dumplings as a starter and they're fifty bucks on the menu, you go, oh wow, oh, these are the best dumplings I've ever had. If you charge fifty bucks for some dumplings from the supermarket, you'll have the same experience. It's, yeah. it's amazing how you can do that stuff to yourself. Yeah. Yes, How much I do you do. think dumplings at this hotel are? Um, I don't know. This is a nice hotel. Like, it's the, an, it, it, like it's. A, I, I mean, like no, this it, is the kind of hotel. It blew that, my mind. The, the, oh, the, the trash cans have tablecloths. That's true. They do. <laughs> like, they do. They have. I don't want to throw dirty things into them. They're like, so clean. They have little napkins tucked into their neck so they don't get any food spilled down them. Oh, well, no. Well, well, when we we valeted to get here, Matt and I carpooled, oh, and he just he just caught the tube. He just immediately knew that we weren't the like, podcast festival. Yeah, right? podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. It's like there's Porsches and Teslas being put, like being valeted. Yeah, people are showing up for their like Winnebago. People are showing up. People are showing up for their like millionaire lunchtime affairs. Yeah. at 11 a.m. or so. You know, I mean, yeah, I was. I saw yeah. some. Some. You know, I yeah, saw them park your car. They went. Are you checking in? <laughs> like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> I tried to say, are you checking in? And they all just got the giggles. Yeah, no. so embarrassing. No, no it was awesome. Yeah, meanwhile, someone behind is like got like a bicycle with a cart on the back that they're valeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was great. I love it. How did you get a podcast in such a, po a podcast festival in such a posh hotel? Because podcasting is great. It's rock and, and roll. It's huge. Yeah, it's the new... Um, what is it? The new... the new Betamax. The new time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we should we should get our other guest onto the stage. Uh, very excited to have her as well. Uh, she is uh, uh, an ex uh, primatologist, anthropologist, uh, Darwinian feminist, and attached to uh, University College London and Georgetown. Panflautist. Uh, What's that? Panflautist. Panflautist. Yeah. Uh, tap dancer or hang glider. Uh, Dr. Amy Parrish, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming all this way, Dr. Parrish. We appreciate it. Just adjusting Happy your to microphone. Be here. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here, there's an art to it. Yeah, we got a you got a professional mic tech on the left of you there. So, <laughs> <laughs> just pick whatever style is most hand. Yeah, perfect. I brought. Some... <laughs> 
That, that, that eight millimeters made a big difference. Yeah, made, <laughs> thanks for noticing. <laughs> so for those of you who haven't... <laughs> <laughs> it's, good. it's good to get a Darwinian feminist yeah, on yeah. and put her in the middle of four guys and make a dick joke within, <laughs> within 30 seconds. 30 seconds. How 30, long? 30 seconds, I know. It took oh, how long? I inches. just realised that could have been interpreted as a dick joke. I'm very sorry. <laughs> it was... I just thought that eight millimeters of microphone angle made a difference. Yeah, and Andy was complimenting you and your single entendres. <laughs> when Andy asked me to be on the show, I asked sort of what the tone was because for me, it's completely normal to talk about ejaculate and clitorises, as, as you'll see in the slides that we'll just have kind of running behind us. But sure. I wasn't sure, but he said anything goes. Yes, so this this is uh, this yeah. is synergy at its best, I think. This is. I Are we playing slides? They're just going to okay, run yeah. in the background, and then so these are... when you have questions, uh, <laughs> these are two females having sex. So these are bonobos, the species that I work on, and um, they're really cool for a number of things. And one of the things they that's shag really like bonobos—they do, and, and anything goes, any partner combination, pretty much any position. But they don't—they don't do things like BDSM. So that's one thing. That's now these are—they well, they, so they, they lack the proper opposable thumbs to, to construct the ball gag. So I, I. Uh, <laughs> No, these are so. Are uh, are they called troops? A troop of bonobos would be a community of a community, yeah. Um, and are they are they polyamorous or do they take mates? Like, no, there's no pair bonding in this species. So females don't rely on males to have help in rearing their infants. So okay. they're um, they're pretty autonomous. They can have sex with any male they want, either in their own group or in other groups. But um, given a choice between, <laughs> right on, right? Sure. Um, but given a choice, if they're simultaneously solicited by a male and a female partner, they're more likely to pick uh, the female. So, wow. um, and you'll see some pictures of their clitorises, so you can imagine why they might prefer sure. sex with females. Yeah. Sure. What, what are they beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what about their clitorises is awesome. Um, well, they they're made out <laughs> they're made out of the same. That's going to be a ringtone. You're right. Yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. They're made out of the same tissue and they have the same structure as the penis. All, all clitorises do. Right. Theirs are particularly prominent and can. Uh, become erect uh, up to about two and a half inches. So when they have sex with a the female, they're rubbing back and forth on that clitoris. When they're having sex with males, it's more this in and out action, which probably yeah. doesn't um, do to their clitoris is what another right. clitoris can do. Uh, right. Exactly. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Don't all uh, clitori um, <laughs> uh, become erect to a degree in mammals? They do. In primates, yeah, the, the clitoris is, is really underappreciated and misunderstood, particularly in our species. It's not just that little that little bud that you can see, but it's really the whole... No, it's, it goes all the way. Yeah, it's the a big, big ordeal. I don't. Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> not ordeal. Uh, a big, big deal. It's, big deal. It's a big it? fucking upheaval, this thing. <laughs> I, I, I thought I saw an article within the last year or two, like as if this was a new finding about right. how far back all of its like tendrils go inside the body. Is that really something we just figured out? Like that seems insane. <laughs> we, we we really owe that to the feminist women's health movement in the '70s because um, it really was not understood to that point. And these women got in self-help groups and did do-it-yourself gynecology in their living rooms and looked at each other. <laughs> Took some anatomy classes. DIY OBGYN. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. Uh, That's a great idea for a board game. Don't you? <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like Operation. <laughs> sure. But even just sure. a few. But the shock years. is a good thing. Yeah, the shock is awesome. <laughs> 
just a few years ago, um, one of my friends who was part of that movement picked up a big anatomy book that was published in um, the early 2000s. Of course, immediately went to the index and looked for the clitoris. When she came to that That's page, where it is. When she came to the page, you know, there, there was the male uh, anatomy on one side, female on the other, and of course it said penis on the male side. And on the female side, where it should say clitoris, they didn't draw it. They just put clitoris parentheses omitted. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. I'm just trying not to make an ISIS joke right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. <laughs> so, not Dr. Ferris, I was listening to. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, why, why, is, why is the cooch man on the. Well, who, is, who is that? So, we, um, we are just one of 200 species of primate alive on the planet today. And I use this slide in my class to make the point that we are also a primate, just, just like our closest living relatives. And um, my friend's daughter, who helps me make PowerPoints, has an inordinate fondness for Ashton Kutcher. Sure. And so I always have to explain it's not my own fascination, although I've come to appreciate him. Right, sure. He's a, good, he's a good-looking primate. How many? Uh, good I love guys. that you use the phrase inordinate fondness, because I know why, where that phrase comes from. Oh, yeah. Can you tell the audience? Well, I can't remember who the quote oh, okay. is. Is it Darwin? Um, it's uh, oh, it's, it's Wallace. Haldane. I oh, Haldane. Yeah. Because he said, if there is a god, he has an inordinate fondness for beetles. Exactly. And I knew right that. Oh, on. A plus. <laughs> it's just a beautiful phrase. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it it pings, it pings like a clitoris. Keep going, please. <laughs> but I, w- I was listening to your, your podcast, uh, or a podcast appearance you made on um, First Friday's talk, and you were talking about how we draw so many parallels between humans and primates, and like the dominant analogy is to chimpanzee behavior, and you were saying, well, chimpanzees and bonobos are equally related to us, right? But very different in terms of how they Genet- operate gender-wise. Genetically equally They are. Um, both Sorry. of them are around 98.5% genetically identical to humans, and so one is not closer to us than the other. They are closest to each other, but from our perspective, they're equally close. And we have 45, 50 years now of data on chimps, and bonobos are much less studied, and so we built all of our models of, of hominid Jane evolution. Badall, huh? <laughs> Jane Badall, huh? Jane Badall. Get in your crate, Jesse. Yeah, that's really strong stuff. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get in the crate. Okay. I'll get in the crate. All right. um, but when, when I started studying bonobos, I thought what I would look at was male-female relationships, but really quickly realized the coolest thing about them is that um, females dominate males. And um, that's particularly rare because the females are unrelated. And usually in mammals, unrelated females aren't that good at cooperating. Mm. But these females, they, they really embody the message of the human feminist movement, which is behave with unrelated females as if they are your sisters. So they've, they've formed that's this weird, really... That's weird, because I read a lot of feminism online, and it sounds like the message is, eat each other alive. <laughs> <laughs> There's some work to be done, and yeah, I think we can. No. But you're right. That's what we want. <laughs> right. That's what we well, want. And so here are the bonobos who've accomplished it. And it's yeah, really, really cool. But they, they have don't this have other relative. the internet, so it's not such a problem. They don't have the internet at the moment, but I'm hoping to hook up different yeah. um, populations of bonobos in different places so they can uh-huh. Skype with each other. So they can comment on <laughs> each other. Sure, sure. Yeah. Have, you, have you ever been, like, can bonobo Skype? Like, I presume you have to do the button pushing bit, but once yeah, the video yeah. is up, what happens when you put it? 
Like, what happens when you play a bonobo or a chimp or any primate mm -hmm. a video of another primate? Well, it's kind of like if you asked what do humans like to watch, you'd get a whole range of answers or what do they like to listen to. So there are quite a few primates who've watched TV and listened to music and they have a, a diverse array of tastes. The uh, bonobos and the Twycross Zoo in England really love to watch Coronation Street. And, um, which is kind of a soap opera thing with not very no, much action. No, it's a mystery it. why any primates want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> We're still studying it. It's, it's and the bonobos get just furious if the keepers go home and turn off the program before it's ended, so they had to put it on a timer so they could finish watching wow. Their, their show. Wow. Yeah. So they have an understanding of story arc? Is that what we're supposed to I don't know what they, what they understand, but there was a, a sign Can language train. I don't know, it's just like, what happens if there's a cliffhanger ending? Right. Uh, they serious, want to watch serious. the next episode, just like House of Cards, right? Yeah. Are there um, hipster bonobos that are always like lording it over you how they don't watch TV? It's <laughs> 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 like, dude, there's a lot of good stuff out there. To, like, right. it's not, you're not better than me. It's yeah, like, you still have Netflix. It doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> it's because you're watching it, it on your count. computer screen. <laughs> you should check this thing out. It's like a fixie. Yeah. <laughs> Except with gears. I've never been asked about hipster bonobos, but I gave a talk in Sweden where they're quite progressive in their gender politics, and at the end of my talk, one of the students said, why do you keep using these old-fashioned terms like male and female? Yeah. Why don't you refer to them as butch and femme? And I'd never been asked that before, but I thought, you know, isn't that kind of a self-identity? How can I decide who, which bonobo is butch and femme? But it was a really interesting question. Does fluid sex, uh, gender identity exist in the primate world, like outside of humans? Like someone who, do you get primates that are um, identified as male or female at birth and then behave more like a male? more like a different gender. You do. Um, Jane Goodall saw that with one of her females, and so did Franz Duval in his um, observations at a zoo in Holland. Um, in both cases, those were females who um, never gave birth to any infants, hunted with males, acted really aggressive, had um, different dominance positions than you might expect otherwise. So, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a reality, that there's a whole spectrum of gender out there that, that extends beyond our own species. Uh, uh it's, that's really interesting to me, and it's, I find it very, very difficult to talk about self-identity of gender and stuff as a cis white male, blah, 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 because you just, it's, 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 you just can't say anything. But what, what, what is interesting about, I think, about seeing that in primates is that it's about, you say they've got female genitalia, they've got male genitalia, and Max's, uh, Matt's question was, do some act with the gender identity of another and in doing that you've already kind of blown it because you're oh, going well that that's a male yeah, behavior so, so why, why is she male. why is that a male behavior yeah it's so mm -hmm. it's very well that's very true yeah, yeah. it's just like why does one behave more like the group that is identified as, as male yeah right, right. well it's it's interesting because I, I i mean my understanding of primatology is that it's it's our easiest insight into pre-class societies here on earth so this is sort of pre-Mesopotamia, pre-agriculture, right? Like hunter-gatherer societies, where, as I understand it, just in history, uh, we, we didn't have class yet because there was never surplus. Everything you ate was perishable. You would just eat it. There were hunters, there were gatherers, but, but we hadn't invented a concept of value. But, well, actually, didn't, don't bonobos, like withhold resources and you have to do things to get the resources from them. And but, but I'm saying it still sounds to me very equal in the sense of like every, everyone's there for that job 
I, I don't think they're saying there's no better than. There's worse no specialization. We're like we have enough people doing the food gathering. Now there can be like clergy members and mm-hmm. like. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And porn. Priestesses. <laughs> porn. They're the two things that happen once you've got surplus: is clergy and porn. I think. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they need porn. And then they have clergy, a lot of porn, all the time. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I'm No, I, um, I, yeah. It, but there's hierarchy. In there's definitely tr- hierarchy. There's rank. They, they really keep track of who has resources, who's shared with them in the past. Maybe some of you have seen Franz Duval's experiments with capuchin monkeys where um, they have to trade a rock and they get a reward. And the reward might be cucumbers or it might be grapes. And they like both things. But when they see that the monkey in the cage next to them gets a grape and they only get a cucumber, they become so furious that they throw the cucumber at the researcher and start pounding the ground. Yeah, sure, sure. Just you know, absolutely outraged about the inequity. Mm. And that's really interesting. Um, you know, it really is, you know, <laughs> it shows that that... Um, Capacity goes way back. Well, unfairness in our is absolutely that, yeah. that, that was an experiment about fairness, wasn't Exa- it? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. The, the difference but, between but why are we assigning value to cucumber or grape? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? Like when, like it's a false designation, man. That's just so. It's like it's like sometimes a grape acts more like a cucumber, but like who gives a shit, man? Like it's food, bro. Cis, it's the cis grape centric <laughs> view we have. Look, man, it's like, you want to be a pickle? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you're saying, are you saying a pickle is a, is a transgender cucumber? Is that what you're saying? I, actually, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'm absolutely saying that. That's fair. That's fair. No, but, uh, Dr. Parrish, oh, sorry. No, no, go for it. Um, but uh, what Jesse was saying about not having, everyone has to be dedicated to just gathering, everyone's priorities just eating, but it sounds like, there are surplus, surpluses in Bonobo society, and they're controlled, and sometimes people have to do things to get... Sure, there's a right. lot of sex for food exchanges in Bonobos, so um, if one individual has food, then another individual can come and offer sex in exchange for part of that food. So um, before I had started studying them, that had been all kind of placed in this framework of, of course... Um, females want food because they have a limited number of babies and they have to worry about the quality of each one of those limited um, offspring. And males always want sex because they can have as many babies as there are willing females around. So um, males ought to be willing to exchange food that they possess for sex. What I discovered is that actually it was much more fluid than that and that... um, uh, both genders could offer sex in exchange for access to food. And as the females matured and gained dominance, it was actually more likely that the males were the ones who had to trade sex to get food. Wow. And so, you know, it, it buys into this whole, or it, it overturns, rather, this whole um, myth that females don't like sex, that they're reluctant, that they have to lay back and think of England and, you know. Lay back and think of Coronation Street. Yeah. <laughs> like, even when I'm active, I think of England. Yeah. I think of England in all modes. I'm thinking of England now. <laughs> A bit of my brain is well, always... Now thinking. I'm thinking of England. <laughs> no, no. I'm not going to sustain an erection through this whole podcast. If you keep, <laughs> it's going to be hard. <laughs> keep talking. Uh, it's a bet. I have a bet going. <laughs> all right. Um, the, <laughs> ha, um, I'm not sure this is an interesting question, but how do we... Um, get, Given that, maybe to link it to what Jesse was saying, that, that primates represent a type of humanity in a pre-Mesopotamian... Or, or do they? Oh, yeah, I, I wonder... Are, are we anthropomorphizing is. that? I, I, I think 
it's significantly different because even before societal structures and class, our brains had, had evolved to the level they are now by, by then, mm. haven't they? They haven't changed at all. For It's, it's only been like, what, 10,000 years, 9,000 years since... I mean, prehistory is really recent. Well, prehistory is yeah. um, three and a half thousand years ago. Oh, when's Egypt? Anyway, right, right. Terrible, terrible. What is it? The first so alphabet, maybe five. Like, yeah. So I guess the question is, how much can like how much can we learn about ourselves from looking at primates mm-hmm. now and looking at our cousins? Yeah, and what, what yeah. I was going to say is obviously um, the, the the difference is that we had developed a, a type of consciousness that includes things like contemplation mm-hmm. of uh, the contemplation of the ethical implications of behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, which changes everything, doesn't it? Or, do, or does it? Well, or do you think you they know, contemplate the ethical? Or is it more The, the language trained bonobos and other apes that we have, we know that they remember things, that they are outraged by, you know, you can show a, well, a they video get of... revenge of, and stuff, don't they? Sure. Mm. They, they have very long memories. They know who didn't share food with them in the past and they won't share food with them in the future. Um, they've shown... Uh, videos of wild chimpanzees, males, committing infanticide, and they're just absolutely outraged by that. I think, you know, the thing about humans is we like to think we're special and we're different and we're at the top of some kind of pyramid, and evolution doesn't really work like that. We're not, we're just kind of a blip on the radar screen, and we might not be around that long. We don't even know who built the pyramids, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's like you don't even know. But, um, so, I think there's far more continuity than there are differences. I think one of the things that may be special about us is we have an ability to overlay um, a layer of rationalization onto what we do. So we think it's free will, but really if you just look at not why we said we did whatever it was, but uh, what we did and what the outcome was, it wouldn't be that different from other animals. Couldn't, couldn't that argument be used against, forgive me, but, but I, I, this is, and I'm not even trying to be devil's advocate, it's just, couldn't that argument be used against feminism though? I'm not sure what you mean. Well, okay, <laughs> me neither. Um, but uh, no, I mean, so I, I, of course, listen, you know, research before we had you here, and you, you talked about this wonderful study in Vienna mm-hmm. with Viennese nightclubs about women show more skin when they're ovulating, which I think is, is that's, that's fascinating to me because I'm sure a lot of them don't even know they're ovulating or don't, they're, you know, they're not there with their calendar, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just this thing that's very animalistic that we're rationalizing like no I just want to be sexy tonight or whatever but couldn't you say the same about some bro yelling out of a car at a girl uh-huh, I see what you're oh. you see what I'm saying yeah. like like I'm not, I'm not saying that's right like it's still we're, we're aware of how fucked we are but I'm saying and then, but, I'm, but I'm just saying couldn't the same be used for for anything to, to justify it not justify it even but just explain it I don't, uh, you know, I don't think it's justifiable, really, but because you also have the will not to, you could not yell out of your car, but. But isn't that the distinction that? I've never yelled out of my car. I don't. I don't <laughs> want to yell out of my car. Like you got. Everyone's <laughs> like, is this guy? <laughs> it, it's mostly, and I say this now with experience, because it's, it's not a good car. It's not a good car. Yeah. <laughs> No, Jesse's not on no, it'd be, Yeah, it would be self-defeating. Yeah. <laughs> Normally yelling out of cars, I find, works. But it's got to be a nice... <laughs> but obviously, all sorts of ethical discussions are derailed by pointing to our primate our origins or our primate membership. You know, uh, um, vegetarianism. Oh, well, we, you know, we, we develop molars. Are, and it's like, yeah, but, but that's not all we are. We, right. we are mm-hmm. part of an ongoing ethical conversation which hopefully society adjusts over time to, 
to create the greatest good for the greatest number. And, and therefore, you can say, so what if we evolve to eat meat? It's not good for the world, and we now understand that animals are sentient and it's bad for the environment, so let's grow meat in a lab or whatever. Or, uh, you know, and, and all those discussions about sexual violence and all that, pointing to primates is, is can derail it. And I guess, if I may reinterpret what Jesse was saying, is um, pointing to primates in the... For the, I can answer my own question here, by the way. <laughs> right um, po- pointing to primates in the cause of something po- uh, ethically positive, can that also derail uh-huh, the conversation? Uh-huh. Well, I think, you know, for bonobos, it's not as though because females have more dominance in bonobos, um, we can expect the same in humans. It just shows that it's possible. And so then you can look at what made that possible for the bonobos. And probably what made it possible is the distribution of resources is such that females can congregate and still get enough to eat. So they're big clumps of food and they can hang around each other, whereas in chimps, food is distributed in such a way that females can't effectively congregate and therefore they can't really bond. Chimps are really um, shitty clits, too. Not into it. You know, and, and, and in humans, it's all, uh, humans have all... Uh, <laughs> there it is, right on cue. So that's the, that's the clitoris of an infant female and her genital swelling will grow around that, but it'll still protrude out of that swelling and she'll be able to use it in all kinds of creative ways. Is this this kitty ape porn we're watching right now? (laughs) And that's a bonobo penis of an adult male. So you can see they're a lot thinner than our penises, but um, longer. Yeah, totally, that's Um, way thinner. uh, (laughs) (laughs) And really large testicles. So um, the size of the testicles relates to how many males the female mates with. So when females mate with a lot of males, males evolve to have big testicles so they can compete through sperm competition. Gorillas have really small testicles because um, they hold harems of females and keep other males away. So there is no sperm competition. Uh. Humans have medium-sized testicles, so you can draw your own conclusion. What, what's a sperm competition? Sperm competition. <laughs> uh, that's what's going to be well, happening straight yeah. after this show, so if you guys want to make your way down to the so patio, the, the, the qualifying three. rounds Beverly are happening three. at 5 o'clock today, the finals will be at night. <laughs> right. But, yeah. He's here for his segues. <laughs> sperm competition is when um, a female's mated with multiple males, and that sperm all has to compete inside of her reproductive tract to uh, make it to the egg before the sperm sure. of another I male. love um, uh, sperm. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah. No, the, doesn't it the, attack the, other sperm? The, it's, sure, yeah, The ones at the back sort of turn around and it's right. a whole thing going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah isn't it? Even in humans, you were saying in one of your talks, even in humans, the fine, like the last bit of the ejaculate has spermicidal qualities. Right, because it's, um, oh. you know, going to meet the sperm of the next male that female mates with. And this is in humans um, first. And so it seems counterintuitive that your own ejaculate would have spermicidal qualities, but it, it's emitted in spurts, and so that last spurt um, is, is there to counteract the ah. sperm of other males. So if, you do act, if a condom does break, guys, uh, just stay in there for that last drop. Yeah. yeah. Just really wait it out or come backwards. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, in Australia, that comes out first. Yeah, right? I think like so, yeah. I think yeah. So. <laughs> That's basic science. Yeah. I just love the different, different way um, sperm size has evolved. Um, fruit, fruit fly have um, uh, massive 
sperm, don't they? And, and, and about 10 of them. Like, not many, not yeah. 10, but... What, the, the cells, the actual sperm cells? Yeah, yeah, the, the sperm themselves are big and, wow. and they are big in comparison to the amount, whereas pigs just make semen for days with tiny little, like, heaps of tiny sperm. I might have the animals mm. wrong. I, I, I think a lot about sperm, so I get, <laughs> I get, I get confused. But th- th- I love all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, you can like, make an entire career that's out a, of yeah. That's a fucked-up episode of, like, Man versus Beast. Like, just like a guy and a pig. Like sperm, a competition. <laughs> sperm competition. Sperm yeah. competition. Um, but you were talking, like, com- so getting back to before, you were talking about the difference between the chimps and the bonobos and their structures. So is it, is it kind of the case, then, that the, sort of the patriarchal society is born out of inequality and scarcity of resources? Um, I think that it is. And, and, you know, bonobos have different constraints, so food is distributed differently, and females would probably be, be better off living with their relatives, but they come from an ancestor where males were the, the, the sex that gets to stay for life, and one sex has to leave to avoid inbreeding. So they found a, a so- solution to work around that. In humans, we have a different constraint, and that's that we have such incredibly helpless infants, and um, so we need additional investment to, to help to rear them, and that can either come from um, a, a pair-bonded partner or your extended family, and different human societies uh, use different strategies. But in general, a lot of us um, rely on pair bonds for that, and so that isolates us from other females. It makes us incredibly dependent on resources that males control. Patriarchy evolves and pays women much less money than men, you know, discounts women, sequesters women, removes their clitorises. This is going to be a constant clitoris theme in no, this talk. I, but, um, yeah, and so all of that then perpetuates I, would, I think about that constantly. Like, again, as much as I can as a white, straight male. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's... it's um, but, you know, we, we, we control the things we can. I just mean, I, I don't... Um, the way just from fucking birth, like our, a friend of ours, a friend of the shows, they just had a baby boy, and when I was introduced to him, he's a gorgeous, gorgeous kid. When I was introduced to him, he was just in the this like blue blanket, and I just had no. It sort of occurred to me like, why the fuck do we even do that? Like right. from the get go, it's blue or pink, and I was thinking like, which I is even switched by the way, because like I, in the early 1900s or a little bit before, pink was the boy color. Sure, sure. So it's like oh, really, I didn't know that. I, yeah, there's I no... don't even know if my voice is this low. Like I was, I was really thinking about that because you know when when as a male when you're going through puberty, you you make your voice intentionally a little lower when it's cracking to sound a little more adult. Mm-hmm. We all did that to some degree, and then it's been decades, so you get stuck there. Yeah, we I've... all did it to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was uh, so it's like, mini I queen. Just I mean, I, mean, I right. mama. I don't know. I, I'm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah, a lot of that is culturally shaped. So um, male newborns cry more than female newborns. Sure. But with just a couple months in, that has switched because male newborns are discouraged from crying, and female newborns are coddled when they cry. And so you can manipulate those patterns. And people I know who have kids, myself included, I look at my kids and I swear to you that it's innate, right. the, this oh. difference. And yet I know that. That that's not settled, the level to which it is, and and people, friends are like, well, they just like trucks, and she like princes, and nothing I could do about it. I tried really hard, mm. and, but you just you got to go back to every single moment, every grandparent mm. going, oh hello gorgeous, as opposed to oh hello little fella, yeah, you know, right, every right. single bit of data these kids are being fed in yeah. from there, the moment they're yeah. born. But there are differences, aren't there? I mean, like bonobos, there's there are there are male and female differences that are not. I mean. The, 
they don't live in a world where they just see billboards every fucking day. Right. Like, they're just, you know, wherever they live. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but they have culture. They have things that aren't that aren't just instinct that they learn from each other. Like sure, and they pass things on. But I mean, and there I, are tribes I, that are different from each other, and they're being. I, I do think there are differences in the genders. I I think it's incorrect to assign value to those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think it's okay for people to have strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I've I, never yelled at a girl from a car. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you? Yeah, uh, that's not me. That's not what I'm about. <laughs> He just sends them abusive texts. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, uh, so to circle back around to one of your sort of specialties, it, 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 firstly, what, what, what do you think about um, I, this sort of ongoing question about the level to which there are sort of... Uh, that culture reacts to a genetic difference and mm-hmm. as opposed to the um, culture sort of um, making these things up due to external co- forces like yeah. um, resource and stuff. Uh, and something else I thought of. Okay, think, think of it and I'll no. answer the okay. first one. Um, so if you draw the distribution of um, any given trait in males and females, you, you know, you'll have a, a curve like that and another curve like that, and they're going to mostly overlap, say 80% overlap, and there's going to be two tail ends of, say, 10% each um, that fall outside of that overlap area. So this is the real extremes of whatever you want to call male behavior and female behavior on any given trait. Um, or a non-behavioral trait, we pay attention to those differences because we have kind of a cultural narrative we want to promote when, in fact, most of the time, we have, um, you know, a, a really large area of overlap between, between the sexes, whatever those are. So it just depends what you want to pay attention to. And in primatology, um, there have been a lot of Western primatologists and then also, um, in particular, a lot of Japanese primatologists they're really interested in cooperation because, you know, they come from a really cooperative society. And so, um, you know, their values are all about um, homogenous kinds right. of, or not all about, but um, that's what they're interested in studying. Whereas, you know, we come from this capitalist society, so the Western primatologists are all studying competition. And, yeah, and you know. And resources. So, right, right, right. So, hmm. I don't know. You know, with my own son, I didn't, uh, we didn't tell anybody his sex for the first week after birth. And we were... Have we, you told him yet? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it turned out it's really hard when you're exhausted and yeah, you know, yeah. try to not use pronouns and stuff. But the reaction was amazing. I mean, people were, they would beg and they'd say, just tell me and, you know, I won't tell anybody <laughs> sure. else. And just let me have would, a little peek. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would start to threaten, well, I won't know what kind of present to get you, um, you know, so you might not get a gift. Yeah, or, I don't know um, whether to get like a ballet skirt <laughs> or a gun. And then they said, you know, well, people think something's wrong, you know, like an XXY or, you know, some kind of chromosomal thing. And, and even in the end, they were wrong just in mad. that context as exactly. well. Like, <laughs> right, right. And then in the end, they were just really mad. They said, you're withholding information from friends. And it's really interesting that that's perceived as information that's relevant you know, to, yeah. to right. anything. So I would say, I mean, I feel like I teach in a gender studies department. And it's kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy to even talk about science. Because science has been used for some of the things that you were talking about, Jesse, to kind of validate patriarchy, to say it must be in our genes to yell out of cars. Or, no, I was, just, you know, I, was, I was just saying, no, no, could I we explain away sure. anything, is what right, I mean. Right, right. Well, and that's, that's been kind of the use of science in the past, is to kind of say, well, if, if chimp mm. males dominate females, then that goes back five million years in our evolution. Therefore, it's natural. Therefore, it's inescapable. Yeah, and that and okay. bias, of, bias right. of not only how you interpret 
interpret data, but the studies you do, what you were talking about, yeah, you, sure. you're going to the study with a massive bias, hoping for a result that supports your preconceived well, mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. And something that you said earlier about the, the two over the, the arcs yeah. and the 10% at either end, I find that basing information on outliers always ends negatively. It's how racism happens. Yeah. It's how, you know, for yeah, instance, yeah. You're, you're driving. I don't notice the 5,000 white guys that cut me off because I'm a white guy. It's the one Asian lady, mm -hmm. and now Asians can't drive. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's how that shit happens because it's the, it's the one you pay attention to yeah. that's mm -hmm. different. And I think uh, any, all of the negative isms are, are really outlier based. Yeah, you know? and, and it's the same with like scientific data. Like, you could say a lot of people think that, and, and maybe this is being proven, but a lot of people think, like, for instance, war is human nature. And I would argue that, like, community, not having war is way more in our nature because yeah. that's how we survived this long. Yeah, being nice to each other is Right, like, we, we ha we're, so, we're so fucking amazing. weak. Like, we were yeah. in the jungle. We had to, like, work You're together. You're fucking weak. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> sorry, that was just my human nature. I'm sorry. No, 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 I know. I know. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. No, you, so couldn't, you couldn't help it. it was... I need a massive clitoris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I want to remind listeners who are watching this stream, if you want to tweet in questions for Dr. Parrish or Tim, uh, we are at Probably Science, just so you know. We are checking that right now. So. Mm -hmm. Are we? I'm checking. Have people been right. tweeting? Will we? Um, people are. People, I'm not sure people know we're taking questions and watching this live, so if people want to ask questions again. Oh, are um, people tweeting shitty stuff? What's going on? Pictures of us on stage is a nice picture. Of the How do I look? Oh, so that's from in the room. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> We've traced the tweet. It's coming from, yeah. Um, <laughs> So I was listening to your, one of your talks, and you talked about how Darwin had some very interesting things to say about just the female of the species across the board. Like, he doesn't right. have the most... Even though you call yourself a Darwinian feminist, like, that's sort of at odds with some of the things he's said, yeah, right? Yeah, and I mean, you know, Darwin was a product of his time. He was a Victorian, but this goes back way before Darwin, so... And I love Darwin in, in other ways, but I just want to say that, um, he, yeah, he had some very, very patriarchal ideas about women because, you know, women were expected to be non-competitive, passive, non-sexual, all these kind of things that, you know, culture wanted them to be. Why did we ever make so them be non-sexual? Right. Like, what weird dude decided that was going to be a thing we were going to force on women? Well, hold on, we're still, I mean, there are whole societies and particularly religious groups right now. No, I know, but, but it's how did that start happening? No, but I'm yeah. saying, what is the benefit of that? Like, I, in a weird it's way, control. it's totally fucked up, but I sort of understand the make me a sandwich thing, because sandwiches are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'm saying why we he would, would never yell that from a car, though. Yeah. It would only be... No, but I'm I saying, like, why we would make that up? But why weren't we also, like, more blowjobs? Like... Well, because you don't... You don't want females to have sex with other males. And so there's a value oh, okay. of virginity in this species that we don't see in other species. So, for instance, in chimps, um, males would far prefer to mate with um, a female who's already given birth. She's a proven mother. Single you know, mom's my right. Give it up, Matt. Say that again. No. no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're a weird species in that way that, you know, we really want to control female sexuality, and that's what a lot of patriarchy has to do with. Yeah. So it's been interesting for me with my work, you know, when I, when I discovered that females are dominant over males, and that, that was one of my big contributions to the field, the reaction of some of the male scientists around me was quite interesting. I'm sure. So one said, um, it's not female dominance, it's strategic male deference. 
What what do those buzzwords mean? Right. I don't, so I don't that even know what that means. <laughs> that males are just acting deferent to females for strategic reasons, maybe to get more well, what's sex. What's the fucking difference? Like, <laughs> in what way is strategic well, deference different right. from what we're it's, talking about? That's like, 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 yeah, I, I could have punched that guy out, but I chose not to. I chose to let myself get punched. You know, yeah, it's the males could still be in charge, but they're just choosing to step back. I mean, these females bite off the penises of males. They. <laughs> I'm a, a Lorena Bobbitt fan, right. front row. I'm going to go join a men's group if you keep you know, you, you know what? Less blowjobs. Less blowjobs. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And here we are. Yeah, we have arrived. <laughs> we are humans. That's how it happened. Oh <laughs> so so I, I, I guess, sort of getting back to the earlier point, when you were talking about what can we, what can we extrapolate about human behavior from the chimps or the bonobos, it's, your studies of bonobos isn't so much then, oh, so the matriarchal format should, could then be the right one. It's more just a, it's a counterexample. It's just a disproving of right. the traditional idea that we yeah. should be a patriarchal society because all primates are patriarchal. It's like, oh well, no, here's a very high functioning matriarchal one. Therefore, the whole thing is bullshit. Yeah. Right, and we can we can learn from both and really look at the variation, look at the underlying environmental variables. If you want to change our system, it might give you some tools, you know, from this kind of comparative analysis. But you know, definitely, it's not. You know, it's not promoting female dominance over males. It's just about how can we empower females more so that they have, um, you know, easier lives, less violence, more control, you know, et cetera. Yeah. We have a question from the audience. It's not very scientific, but we'll take it. Uh, this is from Steve Mulk. He wants to know for the panel in general, what is your preference, dominance or being dominated? <laughs> from everyone on the panel? Sure. I just, as long as my penis stays intact. <laughs> Sure. Like, that's my cutoff for dominance. Tact is his nickname for Jesse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually don't have any uh, interest personally in either the question feels moot to me in sexually and socially oh, no no socially i'm probably i don't being i'm probably quite dominant because i'm an extrovert and i've got used to people listening to what i say which is terrible for a person um for a person's it's terrible it turns people into assholes as we see in every celebrity you know but um uh but i, I don't i don't have a sense of wanting Dominance or submissiveness at all? Do you, do you? I don't. Well, yeah. I certainly, <laughs> I certainly don't. I mean, I I really um, value egalitarian relationships, and that's what I'm looking for in my personal and professional relationships. Although anybody who knows anything about academia knows it's yeah. a total nightmare of alpha males and um, yeah. oppression of women, and just um, you know. Oh, my my mom just got her doctorate over small two years prizes. ago in oh, yeah. Nashville and it was oh, a yeah. fucking nightmare dealing it's, with like you know um, her thesis and everything where you have to like get passed by this board and it's just it looked like something out of like Forrest Gump these old fucking white dudes like doing the right and you know everybody else's research doesn't count it's the wrong sample size the wrong journal only your stuff matters you know it's just right. it's very petty you know very big competition over very small issues which, which is, is crazy. strange it's because science by the very nature of science and research it has to be collaborative no one person can do everything mm -hmm. by themselves but 
So it's got to be a very strange combination of collaborative and competitive. That's true. And it looks a lot like chimpanzee society. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not really that far from, sure. from our, our is roots. It, is it right? I was just thinking academia is interesting. I don't know if I'm right about this observation that you know, academia pulls society forward, you know, every single point at which we learn something new, like your work on matriarchal societies. And, you know, it all pulls us forward. And yet individual academics are quite often more isolated than your average punter mm. from a general sense of what's going on in the world. So this academic studying, you know, sperm or whatever, you want them to be a kind of intellectual leader in a broad sense mm. so that they can interpret their data in a way that which says something about the world. But actually they, they've read nothing for years except spoof literature, you know, like... like um, is spoof a word here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like they... they that they're not necessarily <laughs> they're not necessarily interpreting their data from a worldview of, of uh, that non-academics might be superior to yeah. them, you know, because it's so uh, so vertically. Oh, if your if your work has applications, if if the public can understand it, all of that really counts counts against you. So it's a pity, and I think Alan Alda realized that after interviewing academics for twelve years on his uh, Scientific Frontiers um, series, and so he started doing improv workshops for for academics so that we can learn uh, better how to communicate science to the public. That's right interesting, because I think yeah. one of the biggest problems scientists have compared... Well, that's what um, uh, I think is one of the biggest problems when it comes to things like climate change or vaccines or any of those fields where the science is pretty much set, like it's as, as set as science ever is, but various interest groups can throw doubts because they're far better at media savviness they're far more able to communicate mm -hmm. bullshit than the scientists who are more used to talking to other scientists and less used to talking to laymen. It's a tough balance, though, because um, placing every study into a narrative that allows lay people to connect to it is part of why science is communicated poorly as well, because scientists go, well, if I want this, my study, my study about this tiny, tiny specialty to get public interest, I need to put a thing like might cure cancer on the top of it and, right. it, and it, 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 it's so difficult to get that right the, the, do you think the balance between putting it in a narrative that lay people understand and making it and, and lying and that is the effect. concern is yeah scientists you know they're, they're very careful about how they communicate and what they want to say and they don't want to over generalize and, and yet there's a great story to be told now, I'm in a unique position because bonobos sell themselves I mean it's just you know with, with their yeah they do behavior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I love bonobos it's, so much it's also like even in the middle of the massive conversation about gender and so on I still said lay men yeah. Ah, interesting, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. raising your consciousness. Yeah. So yeah. maybe next time. I mean, I never use the word seminal. It really bothers me. So I say ovarian instead. So. <laughs> <laughs> is that the origin of... Is well, seminal yeah, got the same yeah, origin? Yeah, exactly. What, what is it? What, what? It's not spelled the same, what, What's the What's the origin of semen? What, what's the Greek or Latin derivative? The what's session, the etymology? Yeah. Um, it's, from, it's from the Greek sem, which means smelling of bleach. Right. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> Sam, Sam, and uh, salmon. <laughs> I think it's from Seamus, the first Irishman ever to yeah, ejaculate. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> ever to ejaculate. Sure. Um, we've got quite a bit. We've got a little bit of time left uh, with both of our panelists. I'm just wondering if, uh, apart from the internet uh, people, do we have anyone? Uh, there's a microphone just over there. I wonder oh, yeah, if there's anyone we, with a question that they particularly like to ask. We should have said that up top. Uh, uh, our panelists. Oh, if anyone has a. Oh, I saw you tweet the. 
The question has been Friend of the show, well. Brittany Braun. Friend of the show, Brittany Braun. Brittany, Brittany Braun, everybody. Hey, Brittany Braun. <laughs> currently, currently wearing a sciencey skirt, which you can get from her store. We'll post a link. Yes, over on probablyscience.com. Um, Brittany asks, uh, it seems like there's so much focus on females taking on male roles. What about male primates acting like females? Ah, oh, interesting. I have to think about that for a second. Um, I mean, you know, across the animal kingdom, males can take on what might, in a stereotyped way, be described as female roles when they need to. So they can be quite nurturing to infants. Um, there are species where it's not even the exception, it's the rule, like in tamarind monkeys, which there's a picture in that kind of montage of, of different primate species, I think. Is that the one that looks almost exactly like Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> <laughs> yes, with a big, long, white mustache. Oh, yeah. um, in tamarinds, females carry twins, and each baby is about 25% of the mother's body weight at birth, oh. so she can't possibly carry them around and nurse them, so she has a harem of males, and those males are all possible fathers of the offspring, and of course, twins don't have to have the same father if they're not identical, so maybe even several males in the harem have sired those, those twins, and um, they do all of the work. They carry the babies around, and the babies only come to mom for... Uh, for nursing, so there are species where the roles that we would assign as male and female kind of stereotype behaviors are, are very, very different. Okay. Uh, we have another question from Eric Butterfield who wonders, what value do you put on female orgasm? Well, personally, I put a lot of value on <laughs> <laughs> <Sure. laughs> I, I appreciate um, the capacity to orgasm. There's been a lot of... Um, debate about it in in humans, starting really with Stephen Jay Gould, who used to write that column for Natural History magazine. Um, he was kind of one of the best, or well, one of the, the best known, let's say, um, uh, communicators about evolutionary things to the general public. And he thought that... Um, the ability for human females to have orgasms was just a byproduct of selection on males to have orgasms. And the analogy that he made was males have nipples, but they're not good for anything. They just inherited them because they develop embryonically before the sexes differentiate. And by the same token, females just kind of have orgasms because evolution selected for males to have them. And females just kind of inherited them as a happy surprise, as, as one of his students <laughs> describes them. Um, and so the idea was they have no function. They don't do anything to promote your reproductive success. So it's so weird, and it's just totally untrue. But so, I mean, yeah. But what's so weird about that is why would you go with that hypothesis, given that at that time we didn't have much information on whether, you know, the kind of pushing the semen up the thing and all those sort of, uh, I, I don't even know if they're true, but the, the functionality of it. Wouldn't your working hypothesis be, well, women who love having sex because it feels fucking awesome would breed more. Right. Well, his point was women who've never had an orgasm can also get pregnant, and so therefore it must not be adapted. But over time, wouldn't it be adapted? Exactly. I mean, women vary. Variation is the raw ingredient of of evolution, so you need a a whole range of response. But evolution doesn't say, to to continue on, you all have to have had that thing. Evolution says the tendency to breed is enhanced by having that thing. That's right. Are you guys about to fuck? (laughs) (laughs) That's, that, My goodness. that's not appropriate. <laughs> the phrase is make love the way I do it. And the answer is... Um, I just, it was such an awesome moment of like agreement. I didn't mean to... Yeah. Just, just like, reading that jealousy tact. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you have to be tat. It has to be tat forever. Save it for the competition, guys. There were so, yeah, so many things wrong with that. For instance, we don't know if male nipples have a function. Maybe they do, like a sexual right. function, for instance. Um, we have a lot of data now that female orgasms do serve a function. They reduce tension in bonobos and lead to long-term bonds. There's pretty good evidence um, that you know, there is a mechanism that um, during orgasm the cervix dips down and does suck up some additional ejaculate. Oh, I just and love that the language that... you're using. It's like, it's like, it's like reading Wordsworth. It looks like it's a beautiful. fish mouth coming yeah, down yeah. and just yeah, scooping it up. And that doesn't I'm mean so that you happy. need that. You know, this is not like you know, some kind of Republican politician's idea that you, know, you can't conceive because the female body shuts that down. No. It just means that... You know, it, it can help sometimes with conception. And so... Um, even that concept just comes from just the fundamental misunderstanding of probability. Right. And, and odds. Like you go, yeah, a, a female body under stress is less likely to end up becoming pregnant by a certain percentage, by a certain amount. Doesn't mean it can't happen, though. Tiny and, number, and of yeah. course it does, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, even a friend of mine who's a, a sex therapist, so she's very sex positive um, and really wants her clients to focus less on orgasm and more on all the different kinds of sexual experiences you can have, said, oh, you know, I, I tell my, my clients you know, not to worry so much about orgasm. I mean, it only lasts seven seconds. And I thought... Who cares how long it lasts? I mean, it's still a really cool thing. <laughs> I don't know. So you know, it's uh... you only win the lottery like when that final ball appears. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's instantaneous. Like, oh, I won it now. All right, done. Yeah. Uh, it just on, on that subject. Well, the, they're not going to pick fucking... him up on the weakness of that analogy. You. You hustle me about a fixie. That doesn't count. You can't buy stuff with the, the stuff you made with an orgasm. You can't get a new couch with the orgasm. His, his, metaf- his simile falls over immediately, and you hassle me about a fixie. No, I mean, I, listen. Why do you hate me so much? I don't. I don't at all. I'm saying, but I have paid for things with spoof. <laughs> when you did that, when you said that word, your mouth made look like one of those little bonobo anuses. I know, I know, it did. It did. Um, one of the things in one of your talks, also, you mentioned the fact that you don't use the word promiscuity, which gets used a lot with bonobos. And... Well, that's true. It's such a value-laden word. I mean, how do you define that? Everybody in this room might have a, de- a different definition and threshold of promiscuity. So, really, it's a word that means that you've had more sex than whoever's using the word thinks that you should have had, and that's not very scientific. And, you know, so instead we just really talk about the actual numbers. This is a bonobo female genital swelling, just in case you're wondering. So as the female gets closer and closer to ovulation, her genitalia swell more and more. And so it's an advertisement to all the males in the group that they can come and mate with her. And it saves time. It's kind of an efficient way of making sure you mate with many of the males in in the group. Right. Um, there's uh, is that Kimmy D? Kim, uh, another friend of the show, Kimmy oh. D, over on the microphone, on the audience Hi. mic. Thank you. Um, thank you for being here. You guys have been amazing today. It's been incredibly funny and interesting. And um, my question is: the panel discussed earlier. I think Tim brought it up about how somebody might have an, a notion, an initial notion, and then searches out data to prove that idea for themselves. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at all these different primates and we have all these different agendas or outcomes um, to prove or disprove a person's initial agenda or idea. What the hell are we learning? I don't see (laughs) any changes in us. We're not becoming 
more kind to each other. We're not becoming more available to each other. So, mm-hmm. so as wonderful of, as all of this is and as smart as you all are and have illuminated, mm-hmm. why are we so still fucked up? <laughs> why haven't we solved everything in the last 90 minutes? Sorry, Kimmy, we're trying. I guess, like, yeah, how, what, how do we learn new things from these studies rather than just reinforcing our prior beliefs, I guess? Mm-hmm. Or how... The great thing about science mm. is, is not that it's... Oh, sorry. <laughs> not that it's um, not value-laden. Certainly people can go into it with agendas, and you know, all of the early primate research was all about you know, man the hunter and males being the center of everything. And um, Those were baboon studies where it turned out males were the first to flee whenever there was a problem. <laughs> and that was discovered when female researchers came into the field, so science... <laughs> Science is very self-correcting, which is a great thing. So um, over time, somebody will come along and say, you know, that was really... Those, those initial findings were really biased by um, kind of patriarchal ideas. When I first studied studying bonobos, nobody had really looked at the injuries that males were sustaining and figuring out where they were coming from. Each and every zoo thought that it was their particular male and something was wrong with them. So they'd have these stories, oh, the male was sick when he was young and a female keeper took him home and made him soft and now he doesn't know how to stand up in a natural way and be dominant as <laughs> if that's you know, what obviously ought to happen. So I started looking at all of the zoos and found the same pattern over and over, that females are attacking males. And so I asked a colleague who'd also watched bonobos um, if he'd ever seen this. And he said, yeah, you know, I, I kept a list of, of blood drawing injuries, and I never did anything with it. 24 out of 25 cases were adult females injuring adult males, and it had never appeared in his mind as a pattern because we're trained in the society, that's not natural, that's, you know... yeah you know I mean it's uh yeah it's it's a really interesting thing so I do think we learn things through time Jared Diamond who wrote Guns Germs and Steel would say we're at the most peaceful um stage I mean it's crazy to say that no I I think think that's absolutely the case I agree yeah this is the we are doing incredibly Given population expansion, which people seem to so often just discard as a factor, and it is the factor that the population of the world has doubled in well, and, 30 and the, years or something insane. The sensationalism of our media. And the, and the fact that we're being fed all the terrible stories all the time by assholes who are making money out of giving us fear. It, it, the, the, this I think is statistically incredi- we're inc- very we're safe. We're doing incredibly right? well because of science, because of yeah. studies and stuff. And all this bias does eventually get shaken out. And it can only, even though science is flawed because of confirmation bias, the o- it is the only system that can possibly show us that we're just confirming biases. For the his- Up until the Enlightenment, up until we started doing double-blinded trials, we never would, would have known that it's... Bias. It's only science that allows us to understand that confirmation bias corrupts science. It's right. self-correcting to right. you. Um, there's, great there's point. Some, uh, sorry. Uh, no, no. I was going to say, there's a, there's a great question that just got tweeted in, but before that, I noticed there's someone stood at the mic uh, oh. right now. Hi. Um, hey. So there's been some discussion about how bad scientific uh, sort of popular discussion is and how it can be misrepresented. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my question is, how would a layperson who's interested in these sorts of things follow it in a way that doesn't get distracted by all of the, the hype and the misrepresentation? Like, how do you know what to listen to and exactly. who to believe? Exactly, yeah. Mm. 
the task. <laughs> I don't, I don't the one professional scientist just looked left and right. <laughs> yeah, we got it covered, guys. So uh, <laughs> probably science.com and you can subscribe on iTunes. We're going to take some more questions. We've got a little bit of time left, but I will say, uh, I know I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to this show who aren't regular listeners to the show. And if you have enjoyed us, please do uh, subscribe and listen to some of the other episodes we've got. Uh, our normal episodes, we go through the week in science news with guest comedians, and then we have some episodes with specialists on as well. Um, subscribe and give it a listen, and listen to some of the other ones. Uh, but uh, yeah, mm. Doctor uh, Dr. Parish, any answer to? It's incredibly difficult. Um, you know, the the stories that the media wants to extract out of science are really sensationalized. They tend to already confirm what uh, we believe anyway in our society. So evolutionary psychology has really, really bought into this whole idea that there are kind of these innate male and female differences, that males always want you know, young, fertile women, and women always want older, resource-rich men. And, and it's, it's, it's really poor science, but it gets a lot of media attention because it reassures us that what we already believe is right. Yeah. And so I don't really know the answer except to read broadly and read criticism, read different opinions. I would say read evolutionary biology and evolutionary anthropology over EvPsych, although there is a little wing of EvPsych that um, is doing, doing feminist EvPsych, which is kind of probably going to be the correction. What, what's EvPsych? Uh, evolutionary, evolutionary psychology. psychology. Oh, okay. right, so, yeah. I mean, talk about modes that, that scream confirmation bias. Oh. I mean, evolutionary psychology, I don't know how you study it without without just confirming biases because the hypotheses are so sort of um, narrative-driven as opposed to data-driven. Is that right? That's, That's true. So just to give you a quick example before we take the next question, there was a study at University of Michigan where they had an attractive man stand in the middle of campus and basically proposition women who were walking by. And it could be, would you go home and have sex with me? Would you go on a date with me? Would you go to coffee with me? Could I have your number? And then they did the same thing with an attractive woman propositioning men. And supposedly, you know, in the results, it was, you know, women virtually never said, or either virtually or actually never said yes to going home and having sex, sometimes said yes to the phone number of the coffee, whereas, you know, men were willing to say, yes, I'll go have sex. And, um, but, you know, that's not measuring a difference in female sexual interests versus males. That's measuring, measuring a difference a, in the cultural cost. A cost. Pre-established cultural oh my God, you know, if you could say, then. yeah, if you could say to this woman, um, will you go home with me and nobody will find out it won't damage your reputation I won't abuse you you won't get any STDs you won't and, get you murdered know. right <laughs> right maybe more women way, would say yes and by the way in answering this question undo everything you've ever been taught about promiscuity about women's role in sexuality undo it because right, this right, is right. an evolutionary psych right. thing we, you know I, just, I also imagine it's a little weird for them because of the guy in a lab coat with a giant microphone <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Hey, what the, this guy's got a real hot dick right here. Look at this guy's hot dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's a question from um, uh, Kate Webb, at Kate Webb, a uh, friend oh. and listener to the show. Uh, she says, uh, picking up from female bonobos advertising, um, is there any evolutionary benefit to, concealing, to concealed ovulation in humans? Uh, so... The idea is that women do not advertise ovulation in the way that lots of other primates do. Um, and in fact, it's, it's gotten a little bit more complicated because we know that females do um, maybe unconsciously advertise ovulation through things like going to nightclubs showing more skin at ovulation. And those women that were most likely to be out showing the most skin at ovulation in the Viennese nightclubs were women in long-term relationships. 
So um, that was a pretty interesting study by Carl Grammer, if you want to look it up. Um, so a lot of, you know, if we could see the audience of those of you who ovulate, how many know when you're ovulating? Yeah, yeah, me too. Four hands went up. Four, 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 four hands went up. Mostly women yes. as well. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there are lots of ways to know that you're ovulating. One is called middle schmerz. You actually feel a pain from your ovary when the egg is released. But the biggest predictor is just this really big spike in libido. So, um, you know, it's not that women don't have sex at other times in the cycle, but if you look at sex that women initiate, you see a really, really big spike in that right, right at the time of ovulation. So is it concealed? Is it not? That same guy, Carl Grammer, um, put little dots on women's elbows and hips and, and videotaped them walking down the street. The computer could pick out from the pattern of the walk which women were ovulating. Wow. So it may be that we're giving a, and pheromonal cues, just, maybe. Just bent over backwards, like walking, like, it was like really easy to tell. <laughs> well, you know, who knows what you're perceiving that you don't realize that's what you're perceiving, yeah, sure, but it, sure. it affects who you're attracted to, okay. right? So even though um, it's not like obvious visible swelling, it's more vagina. subtle cues, but they are very much there. Right, so you know, you have this huh. in, a, in a chimp or a bonobo where sure. you know, it's just really loud, everybody can see it, and it maximizes the number of matings. If you're in a species where males are not so readily available all the time, you might, or males are trying to mate guard you and keep you from mating with other males, you might not want something like this that you're kind of relegated to, this, this big swelling. You might want something you can turn it on and off more easily, like behind the rock. So you use a, a behavioral cue like in Langer monkeys, they shudder their head and present their hindquarters when they want to be um, mounted by male. So that's something you can hide from the harem-holding male and, and turn on when, when you have an opportunity, right? So in humans, since we're not kind of living in, in big multi-male, multi-female groups where there are lots of opportunities to just mate in the open with lots of males, it's better to have um, behavioral flexibility. Mm -hmm. One of these slides we've been slipping past... Um, relates to something we've always, not we, but people have thought for a long time that made humans special, which is that we have face-to-face -face intercourse, right. but that's not even unique to us, is it? It's not unique to us. It's not even unique to bonobos. Um, Franz Duval, I've never seen a paper on this, but I've heard him say that the idea that face-to-face -face mating is unique to humans was really something that missionaries promoted um, because they wanted to, that's why it's called the missionary position, they would go around to the so-called savage tribes and tell them only copulate face-to-face, -face, you know, to differentiate us from, from the other animals, right? I would, but, be, I would be very surprised if you somehow could strip people of cultural expectations of how you make love mm. if we were at all different in that. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I'd be surprised if we yeah. weren't exactly the same as bonobos in terms right. of what positions we right. choose. I've and seen a donkey in a sex swing. <laughs> True. Were you in a sex swing when you saw a donkey? Is that what you mean? I was near. <laughs> so here you, here you see them mating face to face. That's a male and a female. Those are two females. But it's not even just bonobos and, and humans. Um, there's some really beautiful footage of uh, gorillas living in the wild, um, having sex face to face. And tasteful, I think you really can find tasteful. it on National Geographic. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a story. You can watch, you can watch yeah. it as a couple. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're getting close to the end of time. Um, thank you so much, both Dr. Amy Parrish and Tim Minchin, for being with us. Yeah. Um, this has been a delight. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, before we, before we do wrap, where can our, where can our listeners, uh, firstly, uh, Dr. Parrish, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? 
You know, it's a little difficult. I don't have a really big presence on the web, so um, I give a lot of... Uh, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of the dialogues at the L.A. Library Aloud series. Um, How could our listeners get involved perhaps yeah, like how could they take take do. some more action like right. uh, what could you recommend there well so hang on to your cell phones a lot longer than um, the average American does uh, there's a mineral inside of the cell phones that's mined out of rainforests where uh, bonobos and other apes live it's called coltan and so we're slaughtering apes in order to have the newest iPhone 6 for instance um, or any other kind of cell phone stop looking at me Matt uh, <laughs> The 4S stopped working with the OS upgrade. <laughs> this, is, this is embarrassing, but Andy killed an ape this morning. Um, yeah. Had a long day. Yeah. In front of his coltan. But yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different bonobo conservation organizations, and since they are our closest relative, it'd be nice to keep them on the planet and just share a little corner of it with them. So yeah. there are definitely ways to get involved in raising awareness and giving money and changing our consumption patterns. And um, I really appreciate that you all are so enthusiastic about them. And yes, we'll, we'll post some links to papers of yours and talks sure. on our site, probablyscience.com. Yeah. yeah, you did World Vasectomy Day. That was great. That clip was awesome. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get to talk about World we Vasectomy did. Day, which I'll just minutes. tell so you. We, ce- we celebrate it every year at the house. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe I can just say briefly a, a word about it. I was in um, Australia for the Adelaide Festival of Ideas, and uh, there were some uh, auxiliary events, and one was World Vasectomy Day with a short blurb that said, live vasectomies performed on stage. And I thought, they can't really literally mean that, but they did. And I sat in the front row, and I watched a couple of guys get vasectomies. And the, the part that I was I saw those weird, videos. They're just little snippets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you just drop a fictional microphone yeah. when you have a real one right yeah. here? Well, these are mic. nice mics. I'm not going to drop us. <laughs> they're just little snippets. <laughs> The weird part is when they cauterize the vast deferens and there's this sort of smoke coming mm-hmm. off of it and you realize you're breathing um, cauterized. <laughs> yeah, you're breathing cauterized yeah. vast deferens. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you but, can do yeah. it at parties these days. You just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> try explaining that asthma attack. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, Tim, for the, uh, Dr. Minchin, to use your full title. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Um, for the one or two people... Like, I'm pretty sure our listenership is a subset of your fan base. But for the two outliers, uh, how, do, how do people find out more about you and your work? Um, uh, uh, don't read my Wikipedia page. It's a weird mess. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, just type my name into Google and see what happens. Hey, and at Tim Minchin on Twitter. and Yeah, I'm at Tim Minchin and I'm Tim Minchin on Instagram and my website's timminchin.com. I got in before all the other Tim Minchins. Nice. <laughs> uh, what's going on? Um, yeah, yeah, some stuff. It's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm mostly writing at the moment. It's not very interesting. I'm doing a couple of gigs, maybe. I don't know. Ah. <laughs> like Tim, you know how Follow to find me on Tim. Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Follow it's the way to find. Well, come gig up. with us in LA, man. We we do stand up everywhere. Yeah, we got to do some gigs. Yeah, come, I know. I've just some, uh, I've decided. Some gigs. We'll call you. I've decided not to not to not be a comedian. So. Nice, <laughs> good. Um, we we will be out there uh, afterwards by the merch table if you want to say hi or look at a property science T-shirt. Uh, but. Um, Guys, thank you, all of you, so much for showing up. I yeah, really, really hugely Thanks, appreciate guys. it. Thank you. Uh, can we have a huge thank you to all the staff and crew at the LA Podcast Festival yes, you and at the hotel as well. They, they make this happen, all of these guys. And, and the again, audience, thank you for tuning in. Yeah, everyone who watched online, everyone who subscribed. And thank you again so much to uh, Tim Minchin and Dr. Amy Parrish. Thank you so much, guys. These guys have been fantastic. I'm Matt Kirshen. This is Jesse Case and Andy Woods. Thank you guys all so much. Enjoy the rest of the festival. Cheers, bye. 